Chapter eighty seven of Wild Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Goff. Wild Wales by George Burrow. Chapter eighty seven. The morning of the fifth of November looked rather threatening. As, however, it did not rain, I determined to set off for Plynlimmon, and returning at night to the inn, resume my journey to the south on the following day. On looking into a pocket almanac, I found it was Sunday. This very much disconcerted me, and I thought at first of giving up my expedition. Eventually, however, I determined to go, for I reflected that I should be doing no harm, and that I might acknowledge the sacredness of the day by attending morning service at the little Church of England chapel which lay in my way. The mountain of Plynlimmon, to which I was bound, is the third in Wales for altitude, being only inferior to Snowdon and Cadder Idris. Its proper name is Pym, or Pimp, Limmon, signifying the five points, because towards the upper part it is divided into five hills or points. Plynlimmon is a celebrated hill on many accounts. It has been the scene of many remarkable events. In the tenth century a dreadful battle was fought on one of its spurs, between the Danes and the Welsh, in which the former sustained a bloody overthrow. And in 1401 a conflict took place in one of its valleys, between the Welsh, under Glendower, and the Flemings of Pembrokeshire, who, exasperated at having their homesteads plundered and burned by the chieftain, who was the mortal enemy of their race, assembled in considerable numbers, and drove Glendower and his forces before them to Plynlimmon, where the Welshman standing at bay, a contest ensued in which, though eventually worsted, the Flemings were at one time all but victorious. What, however, has more than anything else contributed to the celebrity of the hill is the circumstance of its giving birth to three rivers, the first of which, the Severn, is the principal stream in Britain, the second, the Wye, the most lovely river, probably, which the world can boast of, and the third, the Rydol, entitled to high honour for its boldness and impetuosity, and the remarkable banks between which it flows in its very short course, for there are scarcely twenty miles between the funnen or source of the Rydal, and the abba or place where it disembogs itself into the sea. I started about ten o'clock on my expedition, after making, of course, a very hearty breakfast. Scarcely had I crossed the Devil's Bridge when a shower of hail and rain came on, as, however, it came down nearly perpendicularly, I put up my umbrella and laughed. The shower pelted away till I had nearly reached Spitty Canwin, when it suddenly left off, and the day became tolerably fine. On arriving at the Spitty, I was sorry to find that there would be no service till three in the afternoon. As waiting till that time was out of the question, I pushed forward on my expedition. Leaving Pont Erwid at some distance on my left, I went duly north, till I came to a place amongst hills where the road was crossed by an angry-looking rivulet, the same, I believe, which enters the Rydal, near Pont Erwid, and which is called the Castle River. I was just going to pull off my boots and stockings, in order to wade through, when I perceived a pole and a rail laid over the stream a little distance above where I was. This rustic bridge enabled me to cross without running the danger of getting a regular sousing, for these mountain streams even when not reaching so high as the knee, occasionally sweep the wader off his legs, as I know by my own experience. 
From a lad whom I presently met, I learned that the place where I crossed the water was called Troydrugoch, or the foot of the red slope. About twenty minutes' walk from hence brought me to Castell Dufferin, an inn about six miles distant from the Devil's Bridge, and situated near a spur of the Plinlimmon Range. Here I engaged a man to show me the sources of the rivers, and the other wonders of the mountain. He was a tall, athletic fellow, dressed in brown coat, round buff hat, corduroy trousers, linen leggings, and hilos, and though a Cumro had much more the appearance of a native of Tipperary than a Welshman. He was a kind of shepherd to the people of the house, who, like many others in South Wales, followed farming and innkeeping at the same time. End of chapter 87